0: Welcome to the History of California podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Maddox. Today is the last episode on the conflict in California. After today's episode, we're going to have a follow-up by looking at the Treaty of Cahuenga, which is the treaty that would follow the conflict in California, and then talk about that within the context of the larger treaty that brought to the end of the Mexican-American War. In between this episode and that episode, though, we will have a special episode about California poetry. Poetry is so important to understanding history and I've brought on an expert who will show you the intimate relationship between our history and our poetry. But now let's get to today's episode. We pick up our story by returning to the Army of the West. In the last episode, Americans were smoked and surrounded in the Battle of San Pascal, a defeat of a beleaguered travelers by a well-prepared army of Californios. The loser, Kearney, after being relieved and rescued from an army that disappeared in the dust of the desert, marched morosely to San Diego, where he met with our acquaintance, Robert F. Stockton, who we've spent quite a bit of time with. Stockton proud man, a military leader, was not proud with how things were going in the backwoods of California and was eager to take the Pueblo of Los Angeles to end the conflict quickly and decisively and claim this important frontier from a bunch of ambivalent ranchers. Before that could be settled, however, there had to be question of egos. In war, there are always battles, strategies, tactics, supplies, casualties, land, civilians, and egos who is in charge chain of command the chain of command is critical in the military in fact when you are first enlisted chain of command is one of the first concepts that you learn who is your superior now in many situations the chain of command is clear if you're a new recruit your superior is your drill sergeant and above that person might be an executive officer etc etc But once you get high enough, things get tricky, especially between different branches of the military. Our military, as many of you know, is broken up into branches based on what areas of focus a particular branch has been tasked with. And in a war, each of these branches need to coordinate to accomplish a singular goal. The most famous battle of chain of command and Ego was the Pacific theater in World War II. General Douglas MacArthur, who was stationed in the Philippines and was forced on the day of Pearl Harbor uh, to, to escape to Australia, was constantly contesting the right to lead the campaign in the Pacific with the Navy, in spite of the fact that most of the conflict happened on the ocean and was naval warfare. In the end, to solve this battle of egos, the Pacific was actually divided up into quadrants of command. Uh, This way it was clear who was in charge. But these situations persist as conflicts are complicated and oftentimes involve coordination. In our situation, however, both groups had been tasked with taking California and given the limits of communication with the East Coast, Um, they had to work out things between themselves. Kearney had superior orders, but he had also just arrived in California and had suffered severe casualties on his first day. Stockton, on the other hand, had been in California for months and had a larger force to command. Ultimately, things were settled temporarily, and Stockton was given the apparent command, even though... uh, that would continue to be disputed between the two of them. The next major battle in this satellite of the overextended Mexican empire was the Battle of the San Gabriel River. While everyone in LA knows the LA River, the San Gabriel River was just as a critical water source for the LA area as the LA and Santa Ana rivers. Many of the dry places that people live in in California were actually once floodplains The San Gabriel River begins in the mountains of the same name and continues through LA counties into Orange County. This was the river that was relied upon by the San Gabriel Mission in order to function. Unlike other water sources which were seed during the summer, this was a constant water source and had also been a steady supply of steelhead trout that Native Americans living there for hundreds of years had depended upon. This river would now become in some ways, the last line of defense from the invading Americans. The battle of the San Gabriel River in concept is simple. The Americans were on one side of the river, and the Mexican military was on the other side. And the Americans needed to cross the river. Flores was camped on the other side and was going to do everything he could to stop them. The Americans on the other side decided that they needed to reinforce the more insecure parts of their group, including the pack animals and supplies. Uh, This square shape of troops, animals, and supplies became the focus of Flores' artillery fire. The Americans crossed the river by fording it with little issues, due to mainly the lack of quality ammunition and apparent poor uh, aiming of the Californios. The Americans quickly ascended the hill where the Californios were striking with artillery, pushing them back. The Californios also attempted an unsuccessful cavalry charge uh, that the Americans quickly rebuffed with their superior weapons and their superior plan. The fight was, uh, although, a little bit more of a traditional fight than the previous battles of the war, and therefore the U.S. forces were more prepared uh, to be successful here. The Mexican forces retreated after the fight to a distance before then retreating further the following day. The Battle of the San Gabriel River was only part one of this concluding battle of the conflict in California. Kearney and Stockton would continue to pursue the escaping Flores and the final battle would take place in what uh, would eventually become Vernon, California. It's interesting that the final battle of the conflict in California would take place in the city of Vernon, in large part because Vernon has had such a troubled history. Anyone who watched the tragedy of a season of True Detective remembers that corrupt little industry town uh, where the show begins. That's Vernon, California. The reason the creators of that show chose Vernon, California is that the town has had an unfortunate, corrupt history. Vernon's founder was a man named John Baptiste Leonis, who wanted the town to be the first town in the West that did not cater to potential residents, but rather saw itself as an industrial town. According to an LA Times article from 2015 about Vernon's history, Leonis lived like a feudal lord over this little town. Even after his death, the corruption issues would continue uh, into modern times as recent as 2012 when the body of a former city administrator was discovered after a, quote, supposed accident. All that to say this land from the beginning has had some kind of ominous force floating around it. Maybe it's tied to this fateful final conflict in America's conquest of another country. This battle would come to be known as the Battle of La Mesa. The Battle of La Mesa is not as interesting as one would think a final conflict in a war over what would become the United States' greatest asset would be, but that is in part, again, to come back to the central idea of of this podcast so far, which is hardly anyone lived in California. There weren't many people to defend the land. And to be honest, the fight that was put up by the few people that were here is something worth remembering. And given that California is intermingling with Mexico in many ways, it should be part of our historical narratives as well, even if the battles or skirmishes or whatever we'd want to call them were small in comparison to the larger battles that were happening in the Eastern theater of the war. But before we move forward, let's at least talk about the specifics of this battle. Essentially, we would repeat much of the dynamics of the Battle of the San Gabriel River. The Californios' weapons and ammos were no match for the Americans. And given their deficiencies in this area, the Californios were essentially fighting like medieval knights with lances and horses Charging and trying to outflank the American troops who had rifles that were much more powerful. After suffering nearly 45 casualties, the Californios surrendered and General Flores uh, fled, ultimately, back to Mexico, and Americans took control of the Pueblo of Los Angeles. This was the last battle. There would be no more violence, at least official battle violence between the American forces and a defending army. Given that this is the last battle, the next logical step would be some kind of treaty. And the Treaty of Cahuenga is one of the most central moments in this podcast so far in California history and stands as a marker in the changing of power. The moment of signing between these two forces has actually been uh, muralized, if that's a verb that I can use, uh, permanently in downtown Los Angeles. The moment was memorialized by one of the most important artists in L.A. history, Hugo Ballin, which I think is how you pronounce it. Ballin was an artist from New York City. He studied art in New York before eventually moving to L.A. at the request of Samuel Goldwyn. Uh, He went on uh, to work in a stint in the motion picture business before focusing on his fine arts career around L.A., including doing a number of murals across L.A. at L.A. Hospital, Griffiths Observatory, the lobby of the L.A. Times Building, as well as on buildings downtown. His murals of the famous end of the war can be found on the Guaranty Trust Building at Fifth and Hill. The mural depicts our old friend Andres Pico sitting at a table, a table which at least a few years ago was on display at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles and above him, bent over and pointing down at the document, is John C. Fremont. Fremont had been close by when the battle had ended, but on his way to L.A., he had made a fateful stop in Santa Barbara. Now, before I say this, I want to make clear that some components of this story may be apocryphal, which is a word that itself that has been corrupted over time, but that's neither here nor there. I just want everyone to know that I've we're descending into a little bit of mythology, uh, just about the specifics of what has transpired, not the general uh, picture of what I'm about to explain. So there was a woman that lived in Santa Barbara. Her name was Bernada Ruiz de Rodriguez, and she had four sons. She was a Californio, and she knew that her life... And her livelihood depended on this outcome of this conflict, and specifically the treaty. She was an educated and wise woman, and when John C. Fremont showed up to town, she spoke with Pio Pico's cousin, Jesus Pico, to try to set up a meeting with the American military leader. So while Fremont was staying at a hotel in Santa Barbara on his way down south, Ruiz requested some of Fremont's time. How much time she actually spent with him is unknown, but here's what Fremont later wrote about their encounter Quote, I found that her object was to use her influence to put an end to the war, and to do so upon such just and friendly terms of compromise as would make the peace acceptable and enduring. She wished me to take into my mind this plan of settlement to which she would influence her people meantime she urged me to hold my hand as f- so far as possible i assured her i would w- would bear her wishes in mind when the occasion came End quote. for this and many other reasons she's often been labeled as california's pocahontas which is a term that uh, maybe has not aged well but makes sense uh, kind of standing between two groups essentially what she asked for was respect for property rights, the pardon of Pico himself, release of all of the prisoners from the war, and equal treatment under this new regime. Not unreasonable requests. Any humane person would agree. Ruiz was not content to just let Fremont go on his own though. She wanted to go with him. She accompanied him to Los Angeles and spoke with Andres Pico herself and essentially brokered the deal that is depicted in this famous mural. Next time, we're gonna explore the Treaty of Cahuenga and we will tie that into the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo uh, to try to understand how these two treaties influence each other because a lot of what will come in California after this conflict will be related and best understood through